Welcome to Neurodiverse in Your Universe, where we explore all things raising neurodivergent children. I'm your host, Kira, a busy mom of three young boys and two of which are neurodivergent. This podcast is aimed to bring us parents together who are navigating this what is sometimes a very challenging journey. I want you to feel seen and understood after every listen. Tune in each week as I bring on some amazing special guests who will share their journeys and I will also have on experts in this field so that we can hopefully learn some amazing tips from them. Hello everyone. I cannot believe I am actually finally doing this. I have been wanting to do this for so long. I really noticed there was a gap in the podcast market for anything like this where, you know, us parents who have neurodivergent children uh, can listen to other parents' stories, um, you know, people that work in this field. I think there is so much to be learned from other people going through the same thing. And even though places like Instagram and TikTok and Facebook can, you know, definitely make us feel less alone, I just don't think it's enough. And I think a podcast is somewhere where people can truly get their thoughts out and you have more time to listen to a person's story. So that is why I created this podcast. Um, Today's episode definitely feels weird because, you know, I don't have a guest on yet, so I'm just talking to myself. But, you know, I thought it was really important that I started off the series with telling you all about myself, who I am, and my journey. Um, If you do follow me on Instagram, I'm Kira Maxime. And you may already be familiar with a bit of my journey. But otherwise, let's get started. So I am, my name is Kira. I am a mum of three boys. I have a six-year-old called Arlo, a four-year-old who is almost five. His name is Cohen, middle child. And then I also have the youngest who... I will forever call my baby, and that is Moby, and he is two and a half. I am married to my wonderful husband, Declan. We have been married, I worked out the other day, nine years next year, and I think before that we've been together, um, I'm going to have a guess, maybe four years. Um, So... Yeah, we met, we lived in Sydney when we met. Um, I'm a primary school teacher. So after uni, I moved to Sydney and um, did some teaching there for a long time. Um, You know, Declan and I got married and we went on our honeymoon to Bali. We kind of always knew that we wanted to start trying for children As soon as we got married, I, you know, kind of put it off waiting till I got a permanent teaching position because I really wanted that 
job security of paid mat leave and, you know, being able to choose when I go back to work and knowing I have a job to go back to. So we were one of the very lucky ones. We did get pregnant straight away on our honeymoon, but unfortunately that pregnancy ended in a, what's called missed miscarriage. Um, I was almost 13 weeks when we found out. So at the first, you know, dating scan, um, everything was fine. But then when we went back for the, um, oh, what's it called? Like the 12 week scan. I'm not, I forget what the technical name is for it. Um, there was no heartbeat and yeah, that just kind of turned our world upside down. I don't think, I think, you know, we were young. I don't think either of us really thought that that could happen. I think at that time I was still kind of naive and assumed, you know, that a miscarriage was, you know, when you bleed. So, you know, being told there was no heartbeat was just a huge shock because I was still violently ill, had all the pregnancy symptoms and to be, t yeah, I just, so I had to have a DNC and um, after that it took us quite a long time well to us it seemed long I know in a scheme of things for some people unfortunately it is not that long but it took us about 10 months um, until we then got pregnant with Arlo and I was just a bundle of nerves and anxiety that whole pregnancy you know I kind of thought after the 13 week 12 week scan I would be fine but you know, I'd be fine for a couple of days and then the anxiety would be come back and I'd be like, okay, well, I'm not going to be fine to wear the 20-week scan. And then after that, it just, it kind of just continued. And I actually ended up getting diagnosed with um, postnatal um, anxiety and depression when Arla was about four months old because, yeah, that kind of anxiety feeling and stuff just never went away. And it was a really hard time. Um, I think I took about eight months off work. I went back to work when he was actually, yeah, I went back to work when he was one. Um, and we, he was only 13 months old when we found out we were pregnant with little Cohen. And it was a shock to say the least because obviously it took us a long time to get pregnant with Arlo. I had, you know, I was doing everything in the book to try and get pregnant with him, Nat, you know, seeing a naturopath, acupuncture, special diets, all sorts of weird and wonderful things I've read on Google. And so when I found out I was pregnant with Cohen, um, yeah, it was a big shock and Obviously, I was, you know, very happy, but I went through the whole mum guilt thinking, oh my God, you know, what? this isn't fair to Arlo. He's so young. Um, I was so scared of having two under two. And also, I knew how sick I get in pregnancy. So I was also very scared of having a one-year-old and being pregnant. Um, but yeah, so Arlo was 22 months old when... Cohen was born we still lived in Sydney at the time and you know I had already mentioned to Declan a lot and the both the two of us knew we didn't want to stay in Sydney we knew we wanted to move up to the central coast that was where I grew up and where my family were located so we ended up doing that when Cohen was eight months old we moved up here which was prior to COVID so at the time 
Declan's job was still in Sydney, so he had to commute um, at first every day and then three days a week. And, um, you know, so getting into what it was like with two under two and kind of also where I started to question, you know, with Arlo, what's normal, what's terrible twos, things like that. So, you know, because I'm a teacher, I guess, you know, obviously I see an array of neurodivergent children and also because I have that um, anxiety, I kind of always had in the back of my mind, oh, am I being paranoid? Am I overthinking things? Stuff like that. Um, You know, he went to daycare from one and daycare never really expressed any concerns. He started daycare in Sydney, then he went to one for a little bit on the coast and then he swapped to the one that he ended up going to till he started school. But um, for me, I guess the first, very first sign that I now look back on that I see, you know, isn't probably normal is that he would only smile and kind of laugh or interact with us or yeah, basically us. He would with the grandparents, but it took effort. But with us, with Declan and I, you know, he was your happy, smiley, engaging baby. And, you know, nothing, he made eye contact, played with toys, everything like that. But for the grandparents or strangers or anything like that, he would never smile. So, you know, like when you see friends and they, you know, like try to make them smile or things like that. He would never smile. Um, and I remember, it's funny because I remember there was this lovely lady that worked at a big W store. I used to go to a lot and she was um, the person that when you first walk in, I guess they're the people that check the bag. So she was there and every time I would go in, she'd always, you know, have a chat and she loved babies. And every time she would always try to, engage with Arlo and it was quite you know would always kind of make a joke about the fact that oh I'm going to get him to smile one day and you know she would say you know oh gosh he's a hard one to crack and yeah but at the time I thought nothing of it didn't really didn't even cross my mind that that could be like a sign of autism um he didn't walk till he was 18 months old I remember taking him to the doctor we had, that was really good. And she said, you know, if he's not walking by 18 months, you know, come back and we'll look at physio. But he did walk at 18 months old. So that was put aside and not questioned. Um, and then when Cohen came along, um, you know, he didn't really have any interest in Cohen at all. But again, you know, I just kind of put it down to, well, he's only 22 months old. He's not going to have much interest in him. But um, as Cohen got a bit older, he kind of would just not like extremely violent, but would just do things that I kind of thought, oh, it's a bit, you know, like hitting and stuff that just seemed a bit extreme. But again, I just kind of put it down to the age. And he was just extremely whingy. His emotions were all over the shop. And I guess, you know, again, I just thought, and everybody else, terrible twos. You know, and because it did, it started at around, it kind of, you know, came to surface at around the age of two. And, yeah, we just, 
oh gosh, he's yeah got the real terrible twos. But at the same time, he was at sometimes such an easy baby. Like I could take him to the shops, and he would sit in the trolley happily for you know the whole grocery shop as long as you know maybe I gave him a snack. He was fine. I never had an issue ever taking him to the shops. It never bothered me. Um, one other thing I do remember now, you know, looking back on was he did hate the car. Now I know some babies don't like the car, but for him, it was, you know, from what I look back on next level, he screamed from the moment you put him in that seat and it didn't matter if I was going just down the road. I never really went on long trips with him. It like the anxiety it gave me was next level because he would scream so much that it just wasn't safe to drive with him like that. And I know now that when I mentioned that to his OT, she said, you know, that it's, you know, to do with their sensory thing and sometimes their muscle tone and stuff. Why some autistic kids don't like the car. Um, so that was that, you know, the thing, whenever I though went over, you know, the common checklist in my mind, anytime I was questioning it, he didn't really tick the boxes. Like he did make eye contact. He was fine with loud noises, never was phased by loud noises at all. Um, you know, at Dacre, he did kind of engage with other children to what meant to me seemed, you know, age appropriate. Um, was a great eater. The only, you know, aversions he had were to egg and potato. And so we started to, you know, question whether maybe he needed his adenoids out, you know, maybe some of his behaviours and um, like, you know, exaggerated emotions. We thought maybe he's not getting quality sleep and might need his adenoids out. So we got a referral to an ENT from our GP and that ENT visit was, well, very interesting to say the least. Um, I took him to this ENT. I'm pretty sure at, the, at, at that stage Arlo was three. Yeah, I think he definitely was three. And you now I went to this ENT and the ENT probably saw him for not even 10 minutes and turned to me and said, you know, no, he's, you know, fine, doesn't need adenoids out or anything, I'm pretty sure he's autistic, and, you know, that just knocked the wind out of me, I knew for starters that he wasn't allowed to say something like that, because obviously his profession is being an ENT, he's not qualified to diagnose autism, um, but once I pushed, you know, that frustration aside, you know, I left that appointment so distraught, and upset and I feel like that was the catalyst for what started making me really question you know is there something going on here and it was around the same time that he started at his new daycare that was absolutely amazing and one of his teachers did actually have a chat to me about the fact that they were concerned about some of these behaviors so it was then that we straight away got him into a pediatrician. We got him on the wait list to have assessments done, but it wasn't long after that that sadly COVID hit. And as we all know, the world went into chaos. And the wait list for anything to do with, you know, psychology, things like that, just went through the absolute roof. So. 
there was just no chance we were getting any of those assessments done anytime soon. So, you know, we it kind of did get pushed aside a bit. And um, it was, I would say, when he was getting closer to four, you know, I was speaking to my new GP about my concerns. And we were very lucky that she said she had, you know, a psychologist. She knew that she could get us into who would be able to do the assessments for us straight away but you know it would be out of pocket and we would have to pay the full amount and at that stage we were just happy to you know find out what was going on we knew how important it was and that we needed to get all this you know kicked in the bud before he started school so he was pretty much four when he had his assessments done it was you know, from memory, I know that I we had to do sums as a parent. His daycare teachers had to fill out a huge amount of forms. And then Arlo went in for approximately, I think it was four appointments where they did a range of tests, which were IQ tests. I can't even remember the names of all the different tests they did. And then approximately three weeks after all the testing had finished and they had accumulated all the results, I had a one-on-one meeting with the psychologist who went over the results with me. And look, I'll be 100% honest. I went into that meeting not expecting her to say autism. Um, I was, you know, pretty confident that I knew there was definitely speech issues. I knew there could definitely be ADHD. Um, They had mentioned global developmental delay. But yeah, that uh, meeting was pretty full on. She, you know, informed me that he had come out on the, as the results as autism level two, which meant straight away he qualifies for NDIS funding. She also said that, yes, he does have global developmental delay and the his IQ was severely low. Um, Now, that is the only one that to this day I still question because I personally don't feel like he does have a severely low IQ. I, you know, it's hard to know how they determined that and how he performed in that test. But at the end of the day, that was the day that we did find out he was autistic. And I know I, I remember clearly I left that, you know, appointment, rang my husband straight away in tears and rang my mum again in tears and it was just like I felt like I had had the wind knocked out of me I just straight away was overcome with guilt I thought you know is it my fault what did I do wrong what did I do wrong in pregnancy um I just was kind of you know I was feeling all the emotions I was shocked I was in grief and it took you know, a a good while for me to be able to come to terms with this new diagnosis. Obviously, we did know that the positive side was that because he now has the diagnosis, we know what we're dealing with. We know that he attracts funding. He will get the support he needs. Um, I remember at the time, the psychologist said to me to look into, you know, maybe like a support class for him and being a teacher I knew straight away that that just was not what he needed um you know we're very lucky that I feel like Arlo's autism is you know he is very high functioning 
And so I knew that a support class wasn't something he would need and that he would be quite capable at a mainstream school. Um, you know, our next big decision was what type of school we send him to. Uh, originally, we were looking at the Catholic system. We ended up going with our local public school, which we are just so happy that we did. Um, they have been absolutely amazing for him. Um, but yeah, that is what, you know, pretty much where everything went with Arlo. And um, the first lot of therapy we got him into was speech. And then we got him into OT. And OT was just amazing. The things that straight away, the differences we noticed, um, the things, the strategies they were able to give us, the way, you know, they made us understand it in such a different light. Um, just, yeah, OT is just, a, it is absolutely amazing for those children. Arlo loves going to OT. Um, I don't think he sees, he doesn't even realize that it, what, <laughs> like he thinks, you know, he goes there and it's all about being, you know, tumbling and rough play and all these exciting things. So he just loves that. Um, but yeah, obviously I'm mindful of time, so I will, you know, continue to talk more about Arlo again another time, but I want to get into our story with Moby, which is a much more complex, um, you know, story with, so I got pregnant with Moby, um, Arlo, God, I don't know how old Arlo would have been, but um yeah I so anyway Moby was born you know April 25th um 2000 and my god what is wrong with me I cannot even remember his date of birth um what are we in 2000 he was born April 25th 2022 um right in that wave of when we were having a good break from COVID so you know my pregnancy with him was pretty much the same as the others hyperemesis, gestational diabetes, all that fun stuff. I was induced with him at 38 weeks due to the fact that Cohen, the middle child, uh, had shoulder dystocia. So he was 10 pounds, got stuck on the way out. So they were very mindful that because I had diabetes again, Moby could be a really big baby and they didn't want me to go through that again. They did offer me the option of an elective Caesar, but um, that was something I chose. I didn't want to have to do unless I, it was really necessary. Um, the last scan I had, which was at 34 weeks, showed that he was going to be in the 98th percentile. So they made the choice to induce me at 38 weeks. I think it was like 38 and three days or something um and yeah so I went in um had the gel um that was like around three o'clock went in had the gel and then took they took me down at about I think it was about midnight to try and break my waters but unfortunately my cervix wasn't dilated enough so they gave me a second lot of the gel sent me back up to the maternity ward and it was probably about two hours later that I went into full-blown labor. Anyway, I won't go into the whole birth story. But anyway, he was born and he was only 2.9 kilos. So 
Where this 98th percentile baby went, we're not sure, but he was only 2.9 kilos. It's funny because when they pulled him out, put him on my chest, you know, we already knew he was a boy. The first thing I said was, apparently, the first thing I said was, oh, he's not big. And I think it was because for so long I'd had drummed into me that whole pregnancy that he's going to be a big baby that, it, like, I could tell the minute they put me on his, him on my chest because I had had, like, Cohen, who was a big baby, I was like, oh, my God, he's not big. So... You know, um, everything was fine. He was healthy. Sugar levels were great. I went, I stayed in hospital that night and the next night and then went home the following day. He came home. He was feeding really well. We had the midwife check at home. The first one, you know, was all good. They were happy with his latch and weight. And then I think it was the third midwife visit that um oh don't, it was one of the midwife it was the like the what do you call them the area health nurse the people came out and she was a bit concerned about his weight um but they said you know it wasn't too bad and they were just going to keep an eye on it made an appointment for us to go into the clinic the following week and when we went in for that we you know spoke about how we were a bit concerned that he did seem to vomit a lot after every feed but of course you know babies do that um but she did say and then that was there that they were like oh he's not really putting on much weight so it could possibly be reflux so we had an appointment with our gp and um you know they didn't want to rush and put him on anti-reflux meds so she said to come back the next week and then when we went back he at that stage had still put on no weight so we're talking now that you know, Moby was born 2.8 and he was still only 3.1 kilos. So at that stage, alarm bells were starting to ring. My doctor rang the um, pediatric unit at the hospital because we couldn't get into any private um, pediatricians on the coast at all. That's how bad it is up here. Anyway, the um, pediatrician said, you know, it's time to start topping him up with formula. So which I was happy to do, like it's, you know, it was fine, I was happy to do whatever he needed. So after every feed, our instructions, every breastfeed, the instructions were we had to top him up with um, however many meals it was of well, I can't remember now. But, um, and we were doing that after every feed, went back a week later and he had lost weight. So he hadn't even gained weight. He wasn't even, you know, the same. He had lost weight and I just, you know, fell apart. I was like, "What? how? Like, where is it going? Like, I'm breastfeeding him. He's having formula. How on earth can he not be putting on weight? And so we were had to go to, then we had to go see the pediatrician at, like, the pediatric unit at Wyonk and uh, we went and saw them and they... I remember like we went in, I went in, it was, I was on my own actually, Declan was at home with the other kids and she did like some, you know, like, looked at him, did some tests with his body, things like that and I just remember, it was her, the pediatrician and they brought in the head at pediatri- like, pediatrician and I just remember her saying to me, um, look, we're gonna, you're going to have to go up to the hospital. Um, we're just, yeah, really concerned. He just doesn't have any neck strength. His muscles have absolutely no strength at all. And all I could think at that time was, 
uh, like I'll be honest, I was really worried that he had um, SMA. Obviously, I'd seen a lot of that on Instagram with people. And I just thought the fact that I knew he wasn't putting his head up in tummy time, things like that, I was really concerned. Um, they, we went up, I, you know, went straight up to Gosford with him. I remember walking in to that ward and I just was holding back the tears because straight away they told us the first thing they needed to do was a whole heap of tests. And it's true, like they, we went in and straight away he was taken in for heel pricks blood tests and the problem with Moby then and has continued always to be the problem is they can never find any veins obviously at that stage he was only newborn but it's also because of his low muscle tone they find it really really hard so that was you know it took so long for them to get this blood I remember one test they did they had to take the blood and then rush it down to the neonatal room to do this special test but basically, like, this was all... They were checking for all these, you know, weird and wonderful diseases that could be causing him to not be putting on any weight. Um, we, after the next... So, they gave it to the next day to see how he's going, and then he had to have a feeding tube in, and I was told that I had to now express all feeds because they needed to see, you know, they needed to be able to calculate every single meal that was going into his body. Um, I did try expressing, but it just wasn't working. And at that point, I made the decision, look, I've got three kids, Moby, I just, I, this is not something I can do. So we made the choice to go full formula. Um, and that was just heartbreaking in itself for me. But at that you know, I didn't really have time to grieve that then because I was still just so concerned about what was wrong with Moby. Um, and so we were lucky that I think it was by day four, he was finally, you know, making considerable gains with the feeding tube. And they, you know, all his tests had come back not showing anything, you know, to like nothing serious. They ruled out reflux. They had ruled out, you know, milk allergy because I'd already been doing dairy-free while I was breastfeeding him. And so eventually they we were discharged and told, you know, that I had to have weekly weigh-ins with him at our GP. And that continued for about three months and he continued to make the, you know, the gains that they wanted him to make. Um, and it wasn't really until later that we then started to notice that he took forever to sit up obviously you know they say don't compare but you know obviously when I did compare him to any babies from mother's group or anything like that his milestones were way behind he took forever to sit up a very very long time to crawl and then um it was after he took forever to crawl that we were referred back to the pediatric unit at Wyong and um, we saw physio. They continued to say they were really concerned with his muscle tone. Um, and that's when we had to start the genetic testing for him. Um, the first, we saw a neurologist. The first lot of genetic testing has come back inconclusive. So nothing yet. Um, he did walk at 25 months. And where we are at now with him is that the neurologist wants him to have more genetic testing because 
of, you know, his muscle tone. He has a very large head, um, which I know, you know, you can laugh about, but he has a very large head. And the problem with his head is that it's growing on the chart too far. So that's something we also have to have monitored regularly um, and why the neurologist wants him to have more genetic testing. But the paediatrician, because of all the trauma he's gone through with all his tests, said, you know, we can give him a break before we do that next lot. So at the moment, he has the diagnosis of global developmental delay because he is delayed physically and he's also delayed in language. So that was enough to get him early intervention funding. He goes, or he's, you know, had some OT assessments, uh, speech assessment. We're on the wait list for physio and on the wait list to start OT. Um, so yeah, that is, you know, obviously the neurologist said to us that autism is genetic. It's also more common in boys and, you know, Moby is a boy, Arlo is a boy. So, and apparently large heads is also associated with autism. That was something I didn't know. So obviously, you know, it is constantly in the back of our mind that Moby might be autistic as well. And, you know, it's hard because there is a lot of times when he'll do things and Declan and I will turn to each other and, you know, we're trying to make light of a situation, but we will turn to each other and we'll be like, oh, yeah, that's definitely autistic. But, you know, obviously we're also aware that there is so many other things that can be. Moby definitely has a lot of sensory needs. He isn't a big fan of loud noises. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that we went for a stage where he was very um, afraid of the waves at the beach. He, since a baby, has been petrified of balloons. He's afraid of jumping castles, um, all sorts of things. But yeah, for now, it is just, you know, a wait and see what happens with him and yeah that is pretty much sums up my story with my two boys so far um and I think the reason why you know I wanted to start this podcast is because I know that no story is the same every single story with us parents raising neurodivergent children is different and unique um sadly some have it a lot worse than others but you know I'm sure we would all agree we you know it's not about comparison and it's not about who has it worse it's about us all being there for each other and raising each other up and just being that village we all need and each week I am going to be bringing on different guests who can share their stories with neurodivergent children or raising children with special needs because I know there are so many people out there who have, you know, stories to tell that are just going to be so wonderful for us to hear. And I am also looking at getting on a occupational therapist because it will be great for us to hear from one of them. Um, and if there are any special guests that you would love me to get on, please send me, you know, a message on Instagram or an email and I can look at doing that too because I am definitely open for suggestions on different people you would love to hear from. But that is it for today's first episode. 
thank you thank you thank you so much for tuning in and don't forget to hit you know like or leave a review please because it is so appreciated bye for now and i will see you next week for episode number two